Well, good morning, and thank you, Kristen, for leading us to the heart of God this morning. You know what? I can't think of a better prayer or desire than to take on the very heart of God. You know, I think a lot of Christians have, have, have at some point, you know, prayed that prayer that said, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. I mean, I know I've prayed it. Uh, you may have well have as well. But we've asked God like to give us his eyes, right? To see his children the way that he does and to give us his heart, to love them the way that he does. And we just ask God to give us his heart for people. And actually, it's a very honest and a very good prayer. Uh, our desire should be to love and serve our brothers and sisters just like God does. And, and, uh, and maybe even those that are not yet part of God's family. Because see, when, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, God just gives us a new heart and gives us new desires. You, you can't be the same as you were before when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In fact, I, I recall the verse in Ezekiel 36, 26, when the Lord is talking about the restoration to Israel, he says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, a heart that beats, uh, just like the very heart of God. So we have that transforming power of Christ in us. Uh, so the things that break God's heart should also break our hearts as well. But, but let me just leave you with a few questions on, the, on that very thought. What is it that breaks God's heart? And are we really ready to have our hearts broken with the very same thing that, that, that breaks the heart of God? Uh, what does it mean to pray a prayer like that? So, so right now, I think it's fairly easy to come up with an answer for that because we would look and we would say, oh man, God's heart breaks over a divided nation. A nation that's divided by heated politics and racial prejudice and injustice. And God's heart breaks for the sin and disease and loss and grief and confusion and struggle of, of the people that he created. God's heart breaks, obviously, for those who reject his offer of salvation. I mean, after all, he gave his life for them, and if they don't receive it, it just breaks his heart. But I'm even thinking today that perhaps God's heart breaks for the church, the church that, has, that cares more about its comfort than it does its community. So there's a lot of things that just break the heart of God this morning. So when we pray that prayer and say, God, give us the heart that you have, our hearts also break for that as well. And so today, you know, today we gather and we pray uh, for the heart of God to become our heart. Listen, tonight we have a worship night planned. Now it's an outdoor service, so weather permitting, we're still going to do this. And we're going to gather together and worship and even spend some time in prayer for our, our church uh, for our nation, for our community. And if there's a chance, a chance of, of bad weather today, this event will be canceled by noon. So make sure that you check your uh, social media resources so that you can get that news as well. And I finally, I just want to thank the Ragged Edge Inn for allowing us to come in there, giving us some time and space and the use of their grand piano uh, to record that beautiful song that Kristen led us in this morning. Uh, called the heart of God. So by now, you should have received uh, the, the news of our regathering, uh, either through the video that came out on Thursday or, you know, through the letter that you received as well. And I just want to take this time to uh, clarify uh, with those of you from the sanctuary uh, audience uh, why this plan includes a service time change as if we didn't have enough disruption in our lives, right? But here's why. 
So we are concerned. Our primary concern and our first priority for you is your health and safety. And, and wherever you land on that and however you think about that being a risk for you, that is, that is genuinely our concern. Uh, Penny's cousin, Marie, and her husband, Joe, both uh, came down with the coronavirus just weeks ago. And Marie came through very well. But yesterday, yesterday, we were at the funeral service uh, for her cousin, Joe. So we know, we know how this is impacting our community. We know what it does to families, you know, when someone contacts. And so our concern is, is, you know, for the families of our church and for you. So we're taking these safety measures. And what we're planning to do between the services that we have is, is a little bit of cleaning and sanitizing just to make sure that the surfaces that we come in contact with and the place that we meet in is, is safe for you. And that takes some time. And so for those of you that know, we already had three services planned on a Sunday morning and they were tight. It would not have allowed us for any cleaning time. So what we're doing, and, and again, I know this is disruptive, but we're still planning to have three services, but they will now be on Sunday, Saturday evening at six o'clock, Sunday morning at nine and Sunday morning at 11. And all of these services for right now will be, about, will be the same. They will be family-friendly services, which means that there will be kids in the services. I might have to bring back some of the um, old-fashioned kids messages again. But we're going to have children in there. We'll have multi-generations worshiping together. And I think it's going to be good. And we're going to give that a try. And hopefully, hopefully you can uh, understand that, work with us. And I would say please pray for us as we plan for these regatherings uh, beginning on July the 5th with the outdoor service and then July 12th with our new schedule. Well, let me just uh, pray for us this morning uh, as we get into this message. And, and I'm going to pray that God would just give us his heart today for the community, uh, for the people of this church, and that as we settle in with the very heart of God, uh, we'd be able to see things in our world from his perspective. So let's pray to that end as we begin our time together. God, thank you so much for this time that we get to spend in your word this morning. We thank you for the very presence of your spirit that is so real in our lives. Your spirit that speaks to us, prompts us, uh, helps us with discernment, leads us, directs us. It's everything that you promised your spirit would be. Thank you for not leaving us uh, to ourselves because in and of ourselves, all of these things would be so hard and we'd certainly be apt to make mistakes. But God, as we're led by your spirit and as we serve your people through the presence of your spirit, my prayer would be that you would just land your heart on our hearts so that uh, we would just love like you do and serve like you do. Thank you for this time that we get to spend in your word this morning. And uh, just may, may, we ask that your spirit would speak uh, to us as we uh, wrestle through a very tough issue uh, that we're working with in our culture right now, and as we realize again just who we are in your creation. In your name we pray, amen. Well, George uh, Floyd's brutal uh, death on Memorial Day kind of awoke in us and, 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 and sparked this national and international protest against racial prejudice and injustice. Now, granted, this has kind of spotlighted one race more than the others, but it has created within us a very uh, healthy sensitivity to the beautiful multiracial world that God has created. And then the pandemic that originated in a city that most of us couldn't even find on a map 
the pandemic that has now infected more than 6.6 million people in 188 countries or regions. This pandemic knew no boundaries related to race or ethnicity or even age or gender. It had a global impact. There's a website that compiles terrorist activities around the world uh, since 9-11, and it now lists 58 major attacks worldwide. So all of these things have given us a glimpse into the reality that a single event or a phenomena has the potential for global impact. But the, but the other thing that we need to realize is that when we come to the book of Acts, which we've been in now, this is our sixth week in the book of Acts, uh, when we come to the book of Acts, we discover that God so loved this world that he designed the church to have a global impact. So he sent his Holy Spirit you know, upon his disciples, his few disciples, so that they could effectively be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. So his desire was for the church to have a global impact. So these disciples, now with the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, they began to testify about what they knew about Jesus. They talked about his life. They talked about his death. They talked about his resurrection. And thousands of people believed and began to gather in circles for prayer and worship and communion. And, and, and from that, the church began to, to grow. A group of people, right, received the Holy Spirit and then became witnesses for Christ. And then what follows in the book of Acts is story upon story of how individual people became part of this movement. And I believe that God gave us that glimpse into this, like this character study in the book of Acts to show us just how much he wants all of us to get into the game and how there's different ways and different, different styles of, of people that he uses to do that. God desires to get you into the game, so he uses these multiple examples of how that works. So we learned about Peter, a very common guy who you know, stood up one day and spoke to this huge crowd of people and thousands of people came to know the Lord. We learned about Stephen, a man who was full of faith and grace and power, who knew the word of God and just began to share the story of Jesus with other people. Then we were introduced to a guy by the name of Philip, who, who God led and sent to meet up with this man of color from Ethiopia, talk to him about the Lord. He became a believer. Then they both went their separate ways. Last week, we were introduced to a guy by the name of Saul, who was an enemy of the church, and God just brought about a transformation in his life, and he ended up becoming God's chosen instrument uh, to serve the church, now under the name of Paul. So all of these people, you know, are showing up in the book of Acts, and today I want to introduce you to a guy by the name of Cornelius. And I'm going to read from Acts chapter 10, and I'm going to read a lot of text today because the text just tells the story better than I could. I'm going to read from the message, which is a paraphrase of the scripture, and I'm going to use this paraphrase because it captures this so well in story form. So here's the story from Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a man named Cornelius who lived in Caesarea, captain of the Italian guard stationed there. Now, some of your translations would call him a centurion. This simply means that he was of noble uh, character, noble qualities. A centurion was, was a military leader who probably led a century or, or a century of about 80 soldiers. Uh, so Cornelius kind of had some power. He was a man of noble qualities. But he was of the Italian guard stationed there. He was a thoroughly good man. 
he had led everyone in his house to live worshipfully before God. He was always helping people in need and had the habit of prayer. One day, about three o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. And an angel of God, as real as his next door neighbor, came in and said, Cornelius? Cornelius stared hard, wondering if he was seeing things. And then he said, what do you want, sir? And the angel said, your prayers and your neighborly acts have brought you God's attention. Here's what you are to do. I want you to send some men to Joppa to get Simon, the one that everyone calls Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner. That's not Coppertone, by the way. But Tanner is actually a name for someone that describes their trade. So he would, uh, Simon would take the dead skins of animals and prepare them you know, for use. So this guy was kind of considered a despicable, unclean businessman, right? So Simon the Tanner, whose house is down by the sea, and he says, bring him here because he has a word for you. So here you have Cornelius, a very educated PhD type guy. And you have Peter, uh, a not so educated guy, uh, coming to give Cornelius a word from the Lord. Now, it's kind of amazing to me as I read this, that the Lord has given this message directly to Cornelius. And yet the Lord tells Cornelius to go find Peter because Peter has a word for him. I mean, if, if I were Cornelius, I think I would have just said, hey, God, you're already speaking to me right now uh, through this angel. Why not just give me the message, right? Why do we have to bring this guy, Peter, into this uh, to come here and give a word when you're already talking to me? But here's the thing. Sometimes God uses other people who are not like us to bless us, encourage, and teach us. But we often miss those blessings because we kind of ha tend to hang out with people from our own culture, people that are just like us. And sometimes when we limit ourselves to that, we miss the blessing that comes from other people. See, Cornelius was a not, not a guy to put things off. And so it says in verse 7, As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two servants and one particularly devout servant from, from the guard, soldier from the guard. He went over with them in great detail everything that had just happened, and then he sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as the three travelers were approaching the town, Peter went out on the balcony to pray. It was about noon, and Peter got hungry, and he started thinking about lunch. When lunch was being prepared, he fell into this trance, and he saw the skies open up, and something that looked like a huge blanket lowered by ropes at its four corners settled to the ground. Every kind of animal and reptile and bird that you could think of was, was on this blanket. And then a voice came, and it said, Go to it, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Oh no, Lord, I've never so much as tasted food that was not kosher. The voice came a second time, and it said, If God says it's okay, it's okay. This happened three times, and then the blanket was pulled back up into the skies. This is sometimes referred to as the original pigs in the blanket. But Peter got this vision, and now he's trying to interpret, you know, what this is. And so Peter sat there puzzled. He tried to figure out what it meant, verse 17. And while he was doing that, the men sent by Cornelius showed up at Simon's front door. And they called in, asking if Simon, also called Peter, was staying there. Peter, lost in thought, didn't hear that. So the Spirit whispered to him, and the Spirit said, Hey, there are three men knocking at your door looking for you. Get down there and go with them. Don't ask any questions. I sent them to get you. 
So Peter went down and said to the men, I think I'm the man that you're looking for. What's up? And they said, well, Captain Cornelius, a God-fearing man, well-known for his fair play. I mean, just ask any Jew in this part of the country. He was commanded by a holy angel to get you and bring you to his house so that he could hear what you had to say. Peter invited them in and made them feel at home. Verse 23, the next morning he got up and he went with them. Some of his friends from Joppa went along. A day later, they entered Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and had his relatives and close friends waiting with them. The minute that Peter came through the door, Cornelius was up on his feet greeting him and then down on his face worshiping him. And Peter pulled him up and says to Cornelius, no, none of that, because I'm only a man. I'm no different from you. And then they began to talk things over. They went into the house where Cornelius introduced Peter to everyone who had come. Peter addressed them and he said, you know, I'm sure that this is highly irregular. Jews just don't do this. They don't just visit and relax with people of another race. But God has shown me that no race is better than any other. So the minute that I sent for you, I came, no questions asked. But now I'd like to know why you sent for me. Well, Cornelius said, you know, four days ago, about this time, it was mid-afternoon, I was praying. And suddenly there was this man right in front of me flooding the room with light. And he said, Cornelius, your daily prayers and neighborly acts have brought you God's attention. I want to send you to Joppa to get Simon, the one they call Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner down by the sea. So I did it. I sent for you. And you've been good enough to come. And now we're all here in God's presence, ready to listen to whatever the master has put into your heart to tell us. Now watch this. Peter fairly exploded with his good news. And here's what Peter said. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are. It makes no difference where you're from. If you want God and you are ready to do as he says, the door is open. The message he sent to the children of Israel that through Jesus Christ, everything is being put together again well, he is doing it now. He's doing, he's doing it everywhere among everyone. Now, that was a lot of text, but let me try to summarize what happened right here in Acts chapter 10. Acts 10 starts with Cornelius asking, what is it, God? And God tells him to go get Peter, and then I'll tell you both what the message is that you need to hear. And what was that message? The message was that God does not play favorites. God shows no partiality. God says, listen, do not call anything common or impure or unclean that I have made. Church, I believe the image of God is all over this text. God is dealing with two totally ethnically, socioeconomically, and academically different people. God chose a fisherman, Peter, and a PhD guy, Cornelius, and they both needed to hear the same message that all people, regardless of race, culture, education level, and socioeconomic level, all people are made in the image of God. And that's why it doesn't matter who walks through the doors of this church, Latino, Asian, African-American, Caucasian, 
the threads of color and ethnicity and culture are beautifully woven together in the tapestry of creation. See, God does not separate us by color. He unites us by creation. And so whatever ethnicity you are, we are going to love you as an equal in the family of God. See, Billy Graham was once asked about the superiority of races. Billy Graham had a lot to say about this, by the way, but in one particular uh, response about the superiority of races, Billy Graham said this, Jesus was not a white man, and Jesus was not a black man. He came from a part of the world that touches Africa and Asia and Europe. Christianity is not a white man's religion, and don't ever let anybody tell you that it's white or black. Christ belongs to all people. He belongs to the whole world. But here's the thing about this text that I believe we can learn from it. See, our prejudices are not just with races of people, but sometimes it's just with people who are different than us, people who are just different. It's with people who look different, think different, worship different, live in different developments, people who ride Trek or giant bikes instead of Cannondale's. I'm just kidding about that last one, but see, that's why we also say, because there's so many differences with people, that's why we also say it doesn't matter if you walk through the doors of this church as a believer or an unbeliever, young or old, struggling with anger, struggling with porn addictions, uh, you know, alcohol addictions, or even struggling with same-sex attraction. I'm here to tell you that you were made in God's image and it's a beautiful life. There's a beautiful life for you in Christ. That's what this text is saying. That's what, these in, that's what these images and these visions were all about. And listen, whatever your age is, whatever your level of education is, whatever your finances are, whatever it is that you struggle with, I'm here to tell you that we are going to love you here because you are the crown creation of God. You are, you are made in the very image of God, designed to be in a relationship with him. And can I just say this? Can I just say that if you came in here struggling with a sinful lifestyle, we are going to love you and love you so much that we're going to challenge the sin that separates you from God. By God's grace, we are going to point you to the fact that God's love is sweeter and better than anything else that you've ever been able to embrace. And we're going to love you through this slow process that we call sanctification. All because we're created in God's image. See, we need to hear what Cornelius and Peter needed to hear. That God has no favorites. God has no partiality. We're all beautifully and wonderfully made. And that shouldn't puff your ego. It should perhaps drive you to humility to love God and to love other people. Uh, the fact that you are made in the image of God should actually lift you up from your mess of sin uh, or your mess and, and sin. And it should make you realize that you are loved, absolutely loved by the God of the universe and that you were created to live in union with Christ and that you're also sent to be his chosen instruments to reflect his person to the rest of the world. And that means to everyone in this world. Have you ever noticed that a mirror, a mirror has no power at all to reflect anything unless there's a light that hits it? So you put yourself in front of a mirror in a dark room and you won't see a thing, not a thing. 
even though you're in front of the mirror. You still can't see because the mirror itself has no power to reflect. It must first turn to the light in order to reflect. In the same way, listen, you and I have no power in and of ourselves to reflect in our own image, but because we're made in the image of God, we're made to be God's mirrors. And now we reflect the fact that he has no favorites. That's what it means to re reflect God, to, to, to be sent uh, as, as his representatives. Now, the motivation for this church to be diverse is not because it's a cool thing to do. And it's not even because there's a moral argument like we should do this. But the proper motive for this church to be diverse in, in ethnicity and, and in race and in welcoming all people comes from the simple fact that humanity is made in God's image and all people matter. All people matter to God. In the works of C.W. Lewis, he says this. He says, you have never talked to a mere mortal. Now nations and cultures and arts and civilizations, these are mortal. But it is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, immortal that may spend an eternity in horrors or everlasting splendors. Listen, I think it's a time for us to take each other seriously. Uh, no flippancy, no superiority, no presumptions, but we take each other and we look at each other as a people from all languages and nations worshiping our Savior. That's the church, the Savior who has reconciled us with the Father and made us all in his image. And listen, we're going to pick up on this again next Sunday and talk a little bit about this, this idea of no favoritism and perhaps what it is that stands in the way of racial reconciliation within our own church, within our own community. I want to invite you back next week to do that, but today I just wanted us to make sure that we had that foundational uh, uh, theology within our hearts, within our minds, and the very, that's the very fact that every single person is created in the very likeness and the image of God. God has no favorites. And so as we worship together and as we reflect uh, ourselves and reflect the very heart of God to the community around us, our doors are open here to everyone, and we're going to love them with the love of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the privilege of being the church, being your representatives here in this world to reflect your love, just like a mirror, reflecting your love to the rest of the world around us. I want to thank you for the opportunity to have an impact in our community and even within our nation and throughout this world. God, may we always remember that you don't have any favorites. You don't have any favorites at all. You have no partiality, but you consider all people as your creation uh, to be molded and made and shaped into the very image of God so that we can all reflect you well. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, let me welcome you back next week as, again, we jump into chapter 10 and work our way through chapter 11. Continuing this theme of, of God having no favorites. And I, I hope and trust that you would be praying again for us, praying for our community, praying for our nation as uh, you know, we, we work through this, this unity issue together. We'll see you next week.